Good afternoon. How's everybody doing? I can't hear. A little louder? All right. It's good to have some more energy in the afternoon. Well, by way of introduction, my name is Raju Gulabani, and uh, I spend all my life and all my time doing just three things. I work on databases, analytics, and machine learning. And since I only have, I guess, 59 minutes and 30 seconds with you, I'll focus on the first two, databases and analytics today. And how many of you made it to Andy's keynote by show of hands this morning? Few people, okay. So you guys know that he talked a lot about databases and analytics, and he only talked about the stuff that my team and I have been working on for the last year, and just the major announcements. And we've been doing databases and analytics for about 10 years. We launched our first service, which was RDS uh, MySQL in October of 2009. So there's a lot for me to cover. So let's get started. And my goal is, I'm gonna highlight, for some people that didn't make it to this morning's session, I'm gonna highlight throughout the next 59 minutes some of the key highlights that Andy talked about, but I'll just touch on them. And since I've been involved in the design of these services from the very beginning, I'm gonna give you my perspective and set the context a little bit on the strategy as to why we build these services and how we think about it and what's unique about us and our strategy. I'm gonna spend bulk of my time on giving you an overview of all the services that we built over the last 10 years. And my goal is by the time we all leave, you're much smarter than we all were when you came in. And by that, I mean smarter about our services. You guys are plenty smart already. So uh, let's get started. I have a lot to cover. In terms of the strategy, in 2010, uh, when I got to the company, we took a bet on two trends that are very obvious today, but were not so obvious in 2010. First was that we saw everybody getting smartphones, and those smartphones were getting connected to the internet on you know, wireless, Wi-Fi, cell phones, those sorts of things. And we saw devices getting digitized, and getting connected to the internet. IoT was not yet, I think, coined as a term, but we could say that it was around the corner. And we thought that all of these devices and people were gonna leave behind the digital footprint, so to speak, and they'll generate a lot of data that will need to be stored in an economical way. People would want to make sense out of this data, and the scale at which we would need to operate in the next 10 to 20 to 30 years would be very different than the last 30 years. And so we took a bet on explosion of data and we designed our services with these two things in mind. And if you look at our strategy or the key tenets that we use for our entire portfolio of services, these are the three that I would highlight and this is what describes our differentiation compared to any other cloud operator that you might talk to or think about. The first is that each one of our services is leveraging the unique architecture of the cloud and it's gonna give you the kind of benefits that only come from optimizing for the cloud. And the reason why we did this is because we thought over the fullness of time, the only thing that will really matter is the cloud, so we might as well just design for it. And the second thing we saw was as the amount of data being generated was increasing, obviously with volume comes variety, and you're not gonna only deal with structured data, you'll have unstructured and semi-structured data. And of course, with that being the case, relational databases would not be the only tool in your tool belt to do the development of applications and customer experiences that you need to do. So we felt that we would intentionally take the approach towards building purpose-built databases. In those days, we didn't quite call it purpose-built. We said one size doesn't fit all by which we meant relational wasn't gonna be the only tool you had available, and then now we reframe it as purpose-built. And of course, you know the thing that is unique about Amazon is that we not only build databases, we actually run them. Our retail business, which is Amazon.com, is about a 200 plus billion dollar business now, you know, is run, is an application that runs on databases. And historically, we were an Oracle shop, and we will talk a little bit about that. And we knew from running those databases that these are hard things, pieces of infrastructure to manage, to patch, to support, to keep them available. And every time you lose sleep at night, it's probably because your database is choking up on something. So we felt that it would be useful for us to take the burden of dealing with all the muck and let you focus on what really differentiates your core business. So you'll find that all of our services are fully managed. And of course, we've been at this for 10 years. So we have a lot more customers doing extreme scale use cases than anybody else. So these are battle-tested services. 
and you're not going to be really doing the pilots on them. You'll be really using services that have been used by you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of customers over the last many years. Okay, let me take a, <clears throat> let me show you here all the services that I'm gonna cover. These are all the services we've built for analytics, databases, you know, business intelligence, and even the machine learning services in many cases are really useful for making sense out of your own data. So those all have bearing on uh, how you make sense out of your data. And I'm gonna start from a customer backward perspective. When customers like you talk to us, you're really trying to do one of these three major things. And I'm gonna put all the services and give you the overview in the context of the work that a customer is trying to do. For example, they may be trying to use all the data they have to generate some insight or get value out of the data, or they may be designing a new internet scale application. Maybe it's a ride sharing application like the one that Uber or Lyft have or something else. Or you may have existing applications and databases and infrastructure that you're trying to modernize and bring it from on-premise premises to the cloud. And these are the three things that I'm gonna start with and go through each one by one. Let me start with the first one, which is about analytics or getting, making sense out of the data that you have. And here, as Andy talked about this this morning, when you were dealing with data in the last 20 years on-premises, you were probably dealing with gigabytes of data and terabyte was really a very large data set. And that was the case, you could you know, generate all that data in your OLTP or operational databases, maybe behind an ERP application or CRM or another line of business application and you could get yourself a data warehouse, maybe it was a Teradata system or it was an Oracle or SQL server. And at the end of the day when you had all your data, you did an ETL job was small enough data that that got done quickly enough and you got into a data warehouse and then you ran, you know, some kind of a reporting tool, maybe it was Cognos or it was SAP Business Objects, so maybe, you know, a little more modern tool like Tableau that you used with it to make sense of it. And as you got more data, you got yourself more data warehouses. But the challenge with that was that even at that scale, you started to have silos and you didn't have a perspective that comes from being able to look at all your data that happens if it is all sitting in the same system. So our view is that now you're dealing with hundreds of terabytes of data. Uh, many of our customers are dealing with petabytes and starting to approach exabyte data. And in that kind of a mode, this approach doesn't work. And as Andy said this morning, you know, you gotta go to an approach of, instead of a data warehouse, you go to a data lake. And S3 is the best data lake that you could have given it scale it operates it, uh, the durability it has, the availability it has, and the cost profile you can pretty much put all your data into the data lake and then you hang all of your analytics and data warehouse tools and even machine learning services from the data lake. And we have, uh, you know, for every imaginable use case that you will have for analytics, we will have a service which connects to the data lake, whether it's data warehousing or it's interactive query or, uh, you know, operational analytics of uh, log data et cetera, and for each one of these, we have a service starting with Redshift, EMR, et cetera, and I'll go quickly through them at a high level. Let me start with the Amazon Redshift. This was the first major data warehouse or analytics service that we launched at the very first reInvent that I came to. It was in 2012, right here in Las Vegas. We announced it, and we designed this service to leverage the architecture and scale of the cloud. And this was the first petabyte scale data warehouse that was launched. It was, whether it was cloud or on-premise, this was the one that could handle more data scale than any other system at that time. And we did that by leveraging the cloud architecture. We had a single cluster which could have up to 128 compute nodes. It's known as an MPP architecture, shared nothing architecture, which takes a query and makes it parallelized around all of the infrastructure in this cluster and lets you go very fast compared to your traditional data warehouses. And we were able to deliver in 2012 10x the performance of your traditional data warehouse and we priced this at a low, low price of $1,000 a terabyte per year, which if you know about, uh, as I'm sure many of you do, how this is priced at that time and even today, on-premises systems are priced at anywhere from $10,000 a terabyte per year all the way up to 50 or higher. So this was one-tenth the cost, 10 times the performance with the kind of scale that you could not get any other way. And you know, our customers ate it up and it became our fastest growing service, as Andy said, till Aurora came along in 2015. And it is today the most popular 
cloud data warehouse that is out there, which is used by tens of thousands of customers, and we've continued to iterate on it over the last seven years, and from petabyte scale, now we are at exabyte scale. In fact, it has a feature that we call Spectrum. We are also referring to it by Lake House, which allows us to directly query the data in the data lake for exabyte scale queries, and this morning, Andy announced the availability of a feature called Federated Query, which enables you to now query data sitting in your data warehouse in Redshift, also in your operational data, database like an Aurora Postgres or RDA Postgres, and over time we will support other variations of relational databases uh, so that you can do queries against not only your data lake or data warehouse, but also get real-time data that is being generated in your operational database and be able to do those kinds of queries which are give you, giving you access to the most current data. It remains the fastest uh, data warehouse on the market, and in fact, we announced two major innovations this morning that I'll quickly highlight. One is a new instance type called RA3, which really allows us to separate compute from storage so that depending on your scale needs, you can either scale storage or compute instead of having to do both of them together as is the case today, which leads to some wastage uh, of money for infrastructure that don't, you don't fully utilize. With this approach, you can scale just the storage and pay for it. Uh, even though we have separated storage and compute and the data is gonna travel over a high-speed network, the approach that we have taken with this gives you the best performance of any other system that does storage compute separation. It's gonna be 3x the performance of another uh, typical cloud data warehouse, or if you're coming from our dense storage instances called DS2s, you will get 2x the performance, twice the amount of storage, and about the same cost. So this is a major innovation that's gonna help you deal with the scale of data, and of course, as Andy mentioned this morning, you know, if you look out the, around the corner for the next few years, the scale of data is growing very rapidly, I and mean, even this is not gonna be enough to meet your needs in a couple of years. So we announced, uh, a preview of a new kind of hardware which we are calling Aqua, which stands for Advanced Query Accelerator. This is a custom designed hardware layer which sits between, say, the RA3 instances and your storage, which is S3, and it effectively acts as a cache, uh, which allows us to get performance, which is up to 10x the performance of any other cloud data warehouse. And this is where we've designed our own custom A6 to design an analytic processor, we have a bunch of FPGAs that we are programming. It's a lot of hard work that has gone into completely optimizing the stack from top to bottom to give you the kind of performance that you can only get from a you know, company like us, which, has, which operates at the scale, designs its own chips, builds its own hardware, and is able to take the entire stack and work on it. And this is something that's gonna be available in preview now, it's gonna be available in GA sometime middle of the next year. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on to deal with the scale of data. Uh, maybe what you need is not a data warehouse, but you want to do big data processing. Maybe you have structured and semi-structured data that you want to process using things like Spark and Hadoop and all the other uh, services that I mentioned here. These are all open source frameworks, HBase, Presto, Hive, et cetera. For this case, we offer a managed service so that we can take away the muck from you having to deal with it and us offering it instead as a managed service. We give you the latest versions, we give you the lowest cost because we integrate with you know, EC2 spot infrastructure, reserved instances and so on and this becomes the easiest way for you to run Spark and Hadoop infrastructure in a managed way. And we have been doing more than just operating as a managed service, we are doing a lot of innovation in the runtime for Spark and today we offer the best performance of any other solution that you could look at from a Spark's perspective. You know, compared to open source, it's 2x, 2.6x faster, and compared to other folks that are also enhancing the runtime for Spark, we are 1.6 times as performant as them. And you know, this is a service where you're not paying licenses for software, so you end up saving a lot of money and our cost compared to those systems which are better than open source, uh, but we are obviously faster than them. We are about one-tenth the cost. So from a price performance perspective, you get much better deal with us than you get with any other alternative that you could be using. And this morning, Andy also announced that EMR is available on Outpost, so if you want to use it on-premises, you can. To us, 
your data center looks like just like another availability zone. If you go into the console in the cloud, you can simply point to it and uh, set it up and get it going. It will be wor working on outpost running in your on-premise uh, data center. Okay. Well, there are different kinds of use cases, as I mentioned, and there are different services for each one of them. Let's say that you had put all your data in S3, and there's a certain part of the data that you don't need to access every day, so you haven't set up a data warehouse. And you just need to do quick queries on it once in a while. Maybe you're dealing with some issue that needs, to, uh, needs you to understand this data that is sitting in S3. In this case, because it is an ad hoc query, you don't necessarily want to take the effort of first setting up infrastructure because that just becomes added time and cost. And so we offer you Athena as a completely serverless query service, which all you do is point to your data in S3 and start doing the queries. And it sets up the infrastructure behind the scenes as needed to uh, make this possible. And until the last week, this was the only way for you to do this was with data in S3. And we have now expanded it with a federated query support. So you can now do Athena queries against not only S3 data, but really practically every data store that we have. Whether your data is sitting in DocumentDB or DynamoDB or even Redshift or any other place, you can do queries against it. You can even join the data across multiple data sources. So effectively, each purposeful database looks like a table type or a data type you know, sitting in our infrastructure, and you can run queries against all of it. A lot of people are dealing with operational analytics. This is log data generated by applications, generated by sensors, mobile devices, clickstream data, those kinds of things. And the best way to you know, process this data and make sense out of it is using open source Elasticsearch frameworks. And we offer a service called Amazon Elasticsearch Service. We tend to very appropriately name these services. So they are obvious what they are. And, uh, and this is a fully managed service, which uh, makes it easy for you. The basic idea is the same. We want everything to be managed so you don't have to deal with the muck. And this, you know, people are storing a lot of data in this. Uh, in general, given the cost structure of the, the kinds of uh, storage that goes with this, people are not able to store uh, economically data for months and years. They tend to store days and weeks. And so this morning, Andy announced a warm tier called Ultra Warm which is uh, essentially a lower cost tier for that part of the data that you don't need to access as hot data. So for example, you might keep seven days of data in your hot tier and then you may keep something like uh, this uh, remaining maybe three months, six months, or even forever in this uh, warm tier because it is gonna save you 90% of the cost compared to storing the same data in your hot tier makes it economical for you to analyze all your data and be able to understand what's going on with the operations of your systems and applications if you need to. All right, so far what I've talked about are all of the different ways of storing and analyzing data, but the question is, how do you get your data into those stores? And for that, we have an ETL service that we launched a few years ago called Glue, which I guess puts it all together. And uh, this service is a serverless implementation the basic idea is that you point to your data source where your data is, we crawl your data, we figure out what the data format is, we actually generate the code to do the transformation based on the source and the target you're trying to go to, and this understands all our data stores so it can move the data into Redshift or into S3 or other data stores, and it, you only pay for, because it's serverless, you only pay for the time that the transformation needs to run to really transform your data and to move it and load it into your target system. Okay, now what if you don't even have the data that, uh, you know, is not, let's say you need data that is not being generated by you, it's third-party data. So for that, we launched, I think about two weeks ago, a data marketplace called Data Exchange, where the idea is that instead of you having to go to each data provider, like let's say you need some data from Thomson Reuters, or you need it from... Uh, you know, Dow Jones, or you need some financial data and so on, instead of doing the relationships and contracts with each one of these providers, you know, getting physical media from them or getting FTP credentials so you can get that from each one of them and having different APIs to deal with, we rationalize all of that for you. And we have pre-established relationships with these players. We're starting out with 80 providers and over 1,000 
data sources and data products which you can access if you need the data. For example, you may be an insurance company and you need to you know, figure out what your insurance rates are for a certain geography in the US and you may need weather data for that area to see what your risk assessment would look like and that may be what you use to set up your rates and for that you may need to have third party data that you get from one of these providers and we make that easy for you. Okay, now that you have all your data, you wanna really get some insights out of it. And for that we offer a BI tool, which is a data dashboard and visualization tool that we launched a few years ago. And we really designed this to be built for the cloud. If you look at every other product that is in the market, all other products are designed for the client server world. In fact, the most modern products other than QuickSight are around 15 years old. And we have designed this to be for the cloud. There's no infrastructure to run, it's completely serverless, and it is designed for the scale that we talked about so that you can give access to every user in your company and every customer of an application that you may be offering. So you can scale from tens of users, when you're just starting out, to hundreds of thousands of users by just provisioning those users. There's no infrastructure to set up or anything like that, and we have priced it in such a way that doesn't break the bank when you give it to 10,000 employees, for example. The way it works is that most consumers of data are really just looking at the data, we call them readers. They don't really create dashboards, they really consume them. And for that, we have a very simple pricing model. If you're looking at a dashboard and using it, you pay 30 cents for up to 30 minutes of a session, and you never pay more than $5 a month. So it becomes very economical and a lot of customers are deploying it to tens of thousands of employees or partners, 40, 50,000 partners. In fact, we use it within Amazon. Over 2,000 different teams have selected because we kind of have a democratic process to selection of infrastructure and services. So each team gets to decide what they want. We have finally convinced about 2,000 of our friends at Amazon, which is about over 100,000 employees that uh, are now using uh, you know, QuickSight, so it's really used at scale. One thing that is unique about QuickSight is that we are leveraging machine learning, all the investments we are making in machine learning, to use machine learning as a way to get insights from data automatically. I'll give you a quick, few quick examples. Uh, let's say that, uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, my favorite uh, metric, which is revenue. And uh, you want to forecast what uh, end of the year revenue is going to look like, or end of quarter is going to look like. Well. You know, a guy like me or someone else can forecast it, but probably not as good at it as a machine, which can look at it and do a, apply a machine learning model or statistical analysis and kind of predict out what the revenue would look like for end of the year. Or if your revenue is not, you know, coming as you expected it to be, there's some anomaly, there's some trend that is showing up, maybe the revenue is either growing too fast, which would be unusual, or sometimes what happens is not growing as fast. And that kind of anomaly it can detect. Machines can do a much better job of looking at millions of metrics and finding patterns than human beings can, and humans cost more money and don't do as good a job. So machine learning is what we are using in here. And the good thing is that you don't have to be a three-legged genius with a machine learning PhD to use this. We made this such that it just a you know, business user can use it by you know, selecting certain options. And then, of course, it also has a, my, what I consider my favorite feature from machine learning, which is auto-narratives. And here, what it does is we go through all the data that you have, and we give you simple, obvious, and some not-so-obvious summaries of the data. For example, it'll tell you, you know, your, data, your revenue today, which is, by the way, people who know me know that revenue is my favorite metric, uh, you know, grew by a certain percentage. How is it doing compared to plan? How is it doing year-to-date? Those kinds of things. These are things that you could compute by looking at the data, but it just takes time. And we pre-compute them and make them available in English, simple native uh, English language, so that you can just look at it and say, okay, that's what is happening to my business today. And we are using machine learning and statistical analysis to do all this. And last week, we also announced integration with SageMaker, and Andy announced a lot of features of SageMaker this morning, including Autopilot. So this makes it easy for you to use custom machine learning models from SageMaker without really having to learn anything about machine learning. It's just a visualization exercise in a matter of few hours. You could put together very useful 
things like this example here, which is predicting churn for mobile subscribers. This is something that previously would have taken you weeks and months. You would have to get data scientists and data engineers, build uh, models, train them, deploy them, et cetera, and none of that is needed here. You can do inference or predictions right within QuickSight uh, by the way we integrate it. We also last week announced embedding. What we are finding is one of the things, one of the new trends with machine, with uh, business intelligence is that people who are ISVs that are developing applications, they have useful data within the application and customers, their customers, want to see the analysis of their data within the application. And so it's very easy because of the serverless nature of QuickSight to embed it into an application and we have you know, put together a bunch of APIs so that you can integrate it very easily and there's no infrastructure to run. So it becomes very useful for ISVs to embed it and we have a lot of customers that are deploying it that way. Here are some examples of customers that are deploying it to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of users, both inside the company and to their customers and partners. Okay, so that's the quick run in 27 minutes of all of our analytics strategy and services and as you can see, you know, we believe we have the best platform for analytics because easiest to set up data lakes, the scale at which we are operating is going to be hard for anyone else to operate at. We offer the best performance and the lowest cost, and we are the most comprehensive purpose-built set of services and obviously most secure. And that makes it possible for you to do all your analytics on AWS using the service that makes sense for you. All right, let me quickly, here's an example of a customer that's gone from on-premise to using you know, different services, Redshift, uh, Redshift Spectrum, and so on. And let me go to the second project that I talked about where some customers are trying to build you know, new applications with a new scale of data. And the difference here is that in the old days, if you were writing an application that was using a database, maybe you gave it to all the employees within the company and that was, if you're a big company, a few thousand employees using it, and now these applications are really being used by tens of millions of users. Your million is a small number now in terms of how this has to work, and the scale of data is much higher. So you're dealing with terabytes, hundreds of terabytes, petabyte and exabyte as I mentioned. Your user base is global, not just in a particular region. And of course, the performance expectations are much, much higher from your applications. And to do this, uh, we have, again, as I mentioned earlier, we have purpose-built databases. This is something that Andy spoke at length, so I'm just going to quickly touch on it. Depending on the kind of use case you have and the kind of data you're dealing with, there may be a particular kind of a system that makes more sense for you than others. So if you're bringing an application from on-premises to, to the cloud or if it's an ERP application or some other application where referential integrity is very important, then relational makes sense. But you may have other applications, maybe it's a game that has a leaderboard in it, and you know, it's okay if the data for a short period of time is slightly inconsistent because you're not dealing with financial data. And you, know, you may be optimizing for performance and you may use an in-memory database like uh, we have here, which is uh, Elastic Cache in this case. And for each one of these cases, we have a you know, purpose-built service, and I'll go through all of them in the next 29 minutes that I have. Let me start with Elastic Cache, which I just mentioned. It's really a fully managed service around open source uh, frameworks. We started this out in uh, August of 2011, so it's been something we've innovated for the last eight years. And uh, we started out with Memcached, which was a very popular system for caching data from databases, and then we introduced Later on, Redis, which has become a very popular framework for both caching as well as in-memory uh, data stores. And we just offer you a managed service that you can use for those kinds of use cases. Let me talk a little bit about DynamoDB, which is a key value store that we uh, designed in 2010 and launched in early 2012. The basic idea behind DynamoDB is very simple. Relational systems scale up quite well, but there is always a set of use cases, and these are more prevalent today than in the old days, where scale up is not good enough because you need to work on a scale where a single relational system cannot give you the kind of IO, kind of size of data, et cetera. So we designed DynamoDB 
to be a data store or database with no scaling limits. You can think of it as create a table and just keep writing to it. And I have a customer in DynamoDB that in a operational data store has 1.9 petabytes, almost two petabytes in a single table. It's a massive <laughs> scale. I have a customer that does 9.5 million requests a second on a single table. In fact, we use this for Amazon and you know the Black Friday we just ran or Prime Day that we do middle of the year, those all scale because of DynamoDB and we announced I think uh, in the summertime uh, that we did something like 50 million, almost 50 million requests a second for just Amazon.com on DynamoDB. That's ignoring every other big customer we have. This is a massive scale system. So if you're designing a new application and you don't have the legacy of old databases that you're bringing along, you should look at if your application can be served with DynamoDB because it'll give you the best performance, unlimited scale, it's gonna give you the lowest cost of any other solution that you could have, and it's gonna give you the kind of availability that's gonna let you sleep at night because your database is not gonna choke because somebody all of a sudden is doing more I.O. against it. Okay. Beginning of this year, I think in January, we launched DocumentDB, which is our document store. This is for those use cases where, uh, how many of you use MongoDB for your, great, quite a few people. So this is for you. So what we did was we designed a managed service for all the folks that use MongoDB and gave them a fully compatible service, which is compatible with 3.6 version of the API. And it gives you much better scale, much better performance, 2x the performance of any other managed service you can get. And it's designed for four nines of availability because it uses all of the infrastructure that we have designed for creating these databases of various kinds that we have. It gives you higher availability, greater performance, greater scale, and gives you full compatibility, and it's being used by many large customers at scale today. And this morning we announced the last remaining NoSQL database that is used by our customers, which is Cassandra. Andy announced it this morning in his keynote. And this is, uh, again, a same kind of idea. We're giving you compatibility with a version of the API, so in this case it's 3.11. And in this case, our customers told us that they love Cassandra, but they don't love managing it, particularly at scale, because it becomes hard to manage the number of servers you need to keep them patched up and so on, and to keep them available. So what we did was we eliminated all the servers. This is a completely serverless implementation. As you can move your application because it's fully compatible, and you don't have any of the pain of managing the server, scaling them. You can get it on demand, much like we do for DynamoDB, or you can get some provision capacity if you know that you need a certain amount of capacity for your system. And it's very easy to migrate to this. Now, this is going into preview, and we're available uh, for general availability sometime early next year. So with this, we now serve all of the NoSQL use cases, whether it's Dynamo, MongoDB, or Cassandra. Let me now talk about emerging use cases that we are starting to see uh, many customers do. So one of them is the graph database that we launched a couple of years ago. And this is compatible with all the standards that people use for graph databases, query languages like Sparkle or Gremlin, and uh, you know, Tinkerpop and RDF graph models. But the basic idea behind this again is that it's a highly scalable, fast, reliable system because it leverages the infrastructure, database infrastructure that we have put together that we use for a lot of our services. This is becoming quite popular for relation, wherever you have relations, so if you have a social networking application or recommendation engine or any other kinds of systems like fraud applications, fraud detection applications, uh, this would be become the right kind of data store to use. In fact, here's an example of Nike and the athletes and here are a bunch of relationship with the the sports they play, the fans they have, the skills they have, it's much easier to model this and to get a performant application by using a graph database for something like this. Let me now talk about another service that we announced at last reInvent and have launched since then in GA. And this is our uh, 
QLDB database, which is a ledger database, and I'll compare this to blockchain just to give you a sense of when to use this versus another. Here the basic idea is if you have an application that needs to keep track of every change that was made to the database in an immutable fashion so that it cannot be tempered with, then this is the database that you should use because we keep track of every change and we cryptographically verify that it's not been tempered with. And there are a set of applications that this would benefit with. Uh, you could also use blockchain for this, uh, and I will talk about that. The reason why you would use a ledger instead of a blockchain is when you have a central authority you trust that can run the infrastructure that you get much better performance, and you get the SQL interface for querying the data, which is gonna be a lot easier for you to deal with. And here's an example of BMW that is deploying it for an application where basically when they sell a car, they wanna keep track of the car in terms of you know, how many times was refueled, what inspections were done, was the oil change done or not, and you don't want any of this data to be tampered with because when you're selling the car to someone else, that person wants to make sure that this car was maintained. Properly, in this case, BMW acts as a central trusted authority, so you could use this as an infrastructure for these kinds of applications. We're seeing emerging cases, use cases for this kind of stuff more and more. And of course, you could also use blockchain, which we have a managed service for. We today offer Hyperledger and working on Ethereum, which is coming soon. We basically give you a managed service, and this you should use instead of a QLDB if you don't have a single central trusted authority. And there are lots of partners that are working on maybe a supply chain or something like this. And here's a really interesting example that one of our customers is doing where there, uh, I'll go to right to the end of it. Their customer who's drinking that cup of coffee wants to know the origin of the coffee. Which farmer did it come from? Was it roasted in the last 48 hours or not? And I think you'll find folks like this in Seattle. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not quite like that, but I love my coffee. So, and you can go check it out and see that this system would not have been tempered with and you'll know that your coffee is being delivered just to your taste amazing use cases. All right, let me go into, uh, I'm done with all the second application, let me go to the third one, which is around modernizing your data infrastructure. And this is where Andy, you know, very passionately talked about all of the problems that you have with the existing database providers, Oracle, Microsoft, that, you know, have always been expensive, uh, that's how they have 95% margins in their business. Those are proprietary databases. They have lock-in because, you know, as my boss says, you date your hardware vendor, but you marry your database vendor because these things tend to be sticky to your applications, really hard to replace the database. So once that happens, you know, they keep on increasing your prices, punitive license terms. As Andy gave example this morning, you know, in many cases, you bought the database from them, and when you bought it, you could run it anywhere you like, and all of a sudden they've revoked your license to run it in AWS. So those sorts of things are challenges for customers, and you know, as Andy mentioned, we don't ever meet a customer that says, I wanna stay with these old database providers. Everybody is trying to get to something modern, something where they have more control over their destiny. And with that in mind, our customers asked us for, and we launched after five years of work in 2015, our own commercial grade database called Aurora. The first version was MySQL compatible in 2015 and then later on we've launched the Postgres compatible version. And the basic idea here is is 100% compatible with the open source API so there is no lock-in. You can leave if you don't like uh, what we offer. You can always take your application to some other MySQL or Postgres uh, data store provider. The beauty of this is that we did a lot of innovation that I'll talk about, which causes it to be, for the same hardware, three to five X the throughput. So in case of MySQL, you could get as much as five X the performance of vanilla MySQL. You can get 200,000 writes a second from our largest instances that we offer, and 500,000 reads per second from the largest instances. And, uh, <clears throat> And, and this is much more highly available and durable because of the architecture we follow. We built a completely new storage service for database-optimized workloads. So this storage 
is intelligent and knows that all the writes that are coming to it are coming from databases, not from any generic application, and it uses that to optimize and reduce the amount of traffic that has to happen over the network to give you much better performance. And every time you write to, um, to your database, we make six copies because we're afraid that we might lose your data. So we make six copies of it. We put it in three availability zones, which are hundreds of miles apart, you know, tens of miles to 100 miles apart. So you never have any risk from durability point of view or even availability point of view. And, uh, and then we have read replicas. You can have up to 15 read replicas. And they don't talk to your master, which is traditionally what happens with replicas with masters. In the traditional system, they put a work, you know, load on your master. Whereas here, they read from the, from the shared storage. So you're able to get much better performance. And you can do something like 200,000 writes. And with 15 read replicas, 7.5 million reads a second, which is a massive scale for a commercial style database for OLTP applications. And last week, we also announced integration of machine learning into Aurora and Athena, which makes it possible for you to use your standard SQL queries to use uh, to do inference. For example, if you want to do fraud detection, you can do that by simply writing the queries, and fraud detection models will come in from uh, SageMaker into the system without your having to learn much about machine learning. All right. So now the question is, if you want to move to Aurora or to open source databases, how do you do it? If you have your data on-premise or running on EC2, how do you move it from on-premise to AWS? And if you want to go from, say, Oracle to Postgres or MySQL Aurora, how do you do it? For that, we have a service which is appropriately named again called Database Migration Service. And it does two things. It moves your data. It also converts your schemas and your stored procedures and all that. So if you have a you know, Oracle database and you want to go to Postgres, not only will it move the data, but it'll also be able to convert your schemas and your stored procedures so that you don't have a lot of work to do. You'll have still some work to do, but probably 80 to 90% of the work can be automated through these tools. And this is something that we've had for many years. And uh, as of a few weeks ago, we have over 200,000 databases that we have migrated using uh, this migration service, and I think in 2019, we migrated more databases than all of the previous years since the service came out in 2016. So this is something that is being used at scale to migrate the data. The scalability of the AWS services are really important Amazon. from a security perspective. Our Oracle environment was not able to scale to meet all of our demands. Relational databases were a great technology in the 90s when they really came to the fore in the tech industry, and Amazon used them very successfully many years. Today, we shut down the final Oracle database that used to run our consumer and digital business. In that transition that we made to use AWS, we've gotten huge advances in availability. The site's more robust in scale. We've gotten advances in lower latency, especially many of the services, critical services that move to NoSQL stores like DynamoDB. All do right. we have a permission to shut down the database? Oh, are we going to do this? Yes. Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. So this was a celebration for turning off the last of our 7,500 Oracle databases that we used to run our company on. Now we don't have them anymore. And we run the company on a combination of DynamoDB, which tends to be our default data store we go to, our Aurora, our Postgres, or MySQL, or RDS. And then we use all the other services like Redshift and Elastic Cache. And this is at a massive kind of scale. 75 terabytes is a lot of data. So Redshift handles it, and of course the nice thing is not only you get a better system and you sleep better, it reduces your costs, reduces your administrative overhead, and gives you better performance for most of your critical applications. It's not very often in life you get something better for less. So that's what we do with this. This is pretty cool. And we have actually a lot of other customers, which I'm listing here, like Kaplan and other customers that have done the same thing, and these guys have all moved from Oracle or SQL Server to Aurora and Redshift and other data stores. 
This is definitely possible to do and do it pretty easily. Okay, so that was about, you know, uh, taking your uh, infrastructure, which was old and creaky and expensive, and modernizing it by taking it to open source and commercial open source databases like Aurora. And let's say that you were already on uh, some open source database already, but you were running self-managed. Let me show you how we can do that here as well. I've spoken to this a little bit, but let me just highlight the key points. You know, when you're running the database yourself, you're dealing with all the hardware and software installation, you're dealing with all the patching, and as I said, this is all the muck that doesn't really add that much value to your business. So uh, that's why we offer managed services. In fact, the first managed service that we ever offered was in 2009, October, when we launched RDS. We initially launched the MySQL version, and our customers loved it so much that they asked for us to do that for pretty much every other version of the database that they were using. So we, in 2011, came up with Oracle. In 2012, we introduced support for SQL Server. In 2013, we did Postgres. In 2014 and 2015, we did uh, Aurora MySQL, and then we did Aurora uh, Postgres. So this is a fully managed service, and it makes takes away all the muck. And the nice thing about databases is that keeping them available is a hard problem. And we have a feature called Multi-AZ, which some of you who use RDS may be familiar with, where by going to the console and just checking a box or using an API call, you can say to us that your database should be a multi-AZ database, which means that we will keep a standby copy uh, in another data center, which we call as an availability zone. And if there is a failure, we would automatically fail over to a standby database, because as you're writing to the database, we keep the two databases completely synchronized. And it just makes it easy for you to get the kind of availability, 99.95 availability with RDS, and with Aurora you get 99.99. Uh, and this is something that happens because we take care of the muck behind the database. Let me also introduce today a new feature that Andy didn't talk about this morning. And uh, this is just becoming available this afternoon. This is called the RDS proxy. And here the basic idea is that as you're scaling your applications, you know, database tends to become the bottleneck, and in many cases you need to keep a lot of connections open. And this is becoming more and more prevalent when you're doing Lambda-based serverless applications. You have to open a lot of connections, and these connections can be pretty expensive from a memory and processing perspective in the database. So what we're doing here is offering a layer between your application and the database, which is fully managed by us in a serverless fashion so that you, know, you are able to scale the number of connections that you need. They go to the proxy, and then proxy has a smaller number of shared connections to the database, which makes it a much more optimized way to do it. In some cases, you may even be able to downscale your database because you don't need as many connections on the database and save money in the process of doing this. Another benefit you get from the proxy is that if you're using multi-AZ and there are failovers, the way failovers work is that we have to do a DNS lookup to find the endpoint that we just made available on the standby, and that can take somewhere between 30 to 45 seconds, but because we have a proxy here, that goes down to up to 10 seconds. So it increases the, you know, the ability for you to failover at a shorter time, if that's important to your application, it gives you scalability in your application from a connection management perspective, and it also gives you a place to keep your database credentials in the secret manager and IAM with IAM so that you don't have to have those you know, encoded in your application and creating risk from that perspective. It's fully managed. There's nothing to provision, patch, or manage. And Andy also announced this morning that we are making the RDS preview available on Outpost, so you can now manage databases on, premise, on premises as well using the Outpost infrastructure. And again, as I said, in case of EMR, this is no different uh, to us. A data center looks like just like an availability zone, and you can go into the console and manage this as if you are managing it in the cloud. So it really brings all of those APIs and experiences from the cloud to the on-premises infrastructure. Okay, so with that, 
if you have different kinds of databases, here's how you would think about moving to the different, let me give you a guide here. If you're starting from all of these uh, old style commercial databases like Oracle or SQL Server, or even MySQL or uh, Postgres, you go to Aurora or RDS. If you're starting from NoSQL stores like MongoDB, Cassandra, Redis, et cetera, or Memcached, you go to the purpose-built databases starting with DynamoDB, DocumentDB, and so on. And if you're starting from Hadoop uh, infrastructure which runs on-premise, there are equivalent services for that as well. And let me end with this chart which gives you, if you will, a recipe on how to do this and how to think about going from one kind of application that you might have existing application with an existing data infrastructure to what is available from us. If you have an existing application, I bet it is running, you know, 80% chances it's running on relational databases. And you should go to Aurora as your first choice. But in some cases, our customers do it in stages. And they first go to the like database on AWS. So if they are coming from Oracle, they may stage it on RDS Oracle. Or if they're coming from MySQL, they may stage it on RDS MySQL as first stage. And then the second stage, they do the migration to Aurora, uh, which is much, much simpler in case of MySQL and, and uh, Postgres because it's the same API. In case of Oracle and SQL Server, it's a little more work. So people do that in stages, but your target should be Aurora if you're coming with an existing application with a relational database. If you're writing a new application, you should look at DynamoDB. Chances are that if we can run Amazon.com on DynamoDB, I suspect more people can do it too. And it will give you the kind of availability and cost structure that would make you happy. If you're coming from and need an in-memory data store and coming from Redis or Memcached, you would go to Elastic Cache. And then um, if you want an application, which is an emerging application, I suspect it's a new application where you need to keep track of every change made to your data store, like I was talking about in the BMW case, then you want to use QLDB. And if it is something where you don't have a single central trusted authority, like was the case with Nestle, the coffee example I gave, then you may want to consider using managed blockchain. And if you're coming from a data warehouse like a Teradata, Oracle, Vertica, any of these old style um, traditional data warehouses, then you want to target Redshift, you want to put all your data in the data lake, you want to use Redshift and Redshift Spectrum, and you want to use QuickSight with all of these. In fact, one of the nice things about QuickSight is that it's completely serverless, if you use it with Athena and your data is sitting in S3, there's no infrastructure. S3 really kind of is like your data warehouse, if you will, in the old way of thinking it. And if you're doing ad hoc analysis, you would use Athena and QuickSight. If you want to do Hadoop, Spark, you would use EMR. And if you're doing operational analytics with Elasticsearch, you would use a fully managed service with uh, Elasticsearch service. Okay. All right. That's all I have to share. Thank you. I'll be around if you have questions. <laughs>